and I looked over to the side, I looked into the mirror and I saw this yellow skeleton looking at me. And I realized it was me and I laughed. I laughed at the experience and to see this yellow skeleton laughing at me was what I would call um, a, a near-death experience because there I saw myself as a picture of death laughing at myself. How had I gotten to this place? How had I gotten to this situation in my life where I looked like this, where I experienced this? Thank you, Van, for doing this with Nurture Studio. I really, really appreciate it. The first question I have for you, something I'd like to uh, get started with, is by asking you, who are you? And what is something that the internet or your books don't know about? Or essentially, what is something that you haven't yet professed into the world about yourself? Oh, well, um, I am a visual artist, a painter and illustrator and graphic designer, and a little bit of a photographer besides uh, besides being an author and a teacher. Uh, what most people don't know about me, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Shashwat, why do you always ask these dumbfounding questions? What somebody doesn't know about me? I don't know, I guess um, I'm very interested in initiation, the whole idea of spiritual development and the fact that there have been people in history that have been initiated into the mysteries of the universe from shamans, from priesthoods of, of ancient religions, and uh, people right up into our own time that often are not registered on, on the, the scale of history, but somehow slip by it. People like Rudolf Steiner, people like the artist William Blake or Swedenborg, Edgar Cayce, people who have had access to what we call the spiritual world, the other side, experiences after and before death. That is after death and before birth. So that's, uh, that's something that I'm very interested in. So I'm I'm basically a, a, a student of Rudolf Steiner. I try to understand more and more of what, what he brought in the early 20th century and why aren't there more of these people 
that are helping us find the solutions that we need in the world today. That is very, very interesting, Ran. So this idea of initiation into the other side, into the spiritual domain. I'm curious to know, have you had an experience that you would call um, a spiritual experience or sort of experience where you were initiated and got glimpses into the other side? And if yes, what were they like? Well, I, I've, I all the time am having more and more an awareness of spiritual experiences on very subtle levels. And it's, it's difficult to describe them, but insights, you know, the fact that the fact that we can think is already a spiritual capacity. It's a spiritual experience. Uh, but I think during my early years, um, you know, not having been brought up in a culture in America and through an education that was promoting the idea of, of spiritual development, I first had experiences through taking drugs. Yeah, LSD, peyote, mescaline, um, and so forth. But one of the powerful experiences I had was when I was suffering from hepatitis, was in the hospital, was very ill and um, very sick, very thin, was, uh, was vomiting and having diarrhea and my skin was yellow, the whites of my eyes were yellow and um, I was finally being treated in such a way where I was starting to recover. And the doctors said it would be possible for me to, to use the bathroom rather than a, a bedpan at my, my hospital bed. And so I got up and I walked to the, to the bathroom, uh, to the restroom. And you know the, the stalls with the toilets are, were on one side and all the sinks were on the other side and a long mirror was above the, the sinks. And as I walked in, I, I felt as though I was being watched. And I looked over to the side, I looked into the mirror and I saw this yellow skeleton looking at me. And I realized it was me and I laughed. I laughed at the experience and to see this yellow skeleton laughing at me was what I would call a, a near death experience because there I saw myself as a picture of death laughing at myself, how had I gotten to this place? How had I gotten to this situation in my life where I looked like this, where I experienced this? And so that was, that was a real turning point in my life. I was around 21, 22 years old. And I realized 
I needed to completely change my lifestyle. So that was a that was an insight that was a, a spiritual experience through a physical pictorial experience. And I've had had other experiences like that. Um, later when I was studying in Switzerland, um, I had an experience which led to me being hospitalized um, and diagnosed as having a, a circulatory experience. They didn't call it a heart attack, they called it a circulatory attack. And um, this was in Switzerland and I was working at my desk and doing some drawing and I suddenly got, got very dizzy and it was as though I was falling. I was falling and falling and I couldn't stop this sensation of being completely released unless I focused all my thinking and tried to hold on. But it was so painful to do that, that I could only hold on. I could only, ex I could only go through this excruciating pain for so long and then I'd have to let go. And then I'd experience this falling, this kind of dizziness of falling so quickly that I'd have to stop it again. So I experienced something that, that later in comp contemplating what was happening, that, uh, that it, I was experiencing something in my nerve sense system and then in my circulatory system in the blood and that there was something of this uh, expansion and contraction, expansion and contraction that was taking place that I was physically experiencing my blood and nerves. And finally, I just, all I could do was get over to my bed and lie down and I was sweating, cold sweats and so on. And I was able to uh, call a friend. They got me to the, to the hospital. Took me years to recover from that. And, you know, I've had, had a weak heart ever since then. I've never had the, the physical strength that I had before that time. That was at the age of, of 28. So I had this one experience around 21, then this experience at 28 as kind of life-changing experiences. And they both took place as, as physical experiences. There, there, there would be ways to, to describe them away as simply physical experiences, medical conditions. But uh, I, I saw them as really spiritual experiences of pushing me to another level of, of experiencing myself and the world. Now those were what I would call strong or uh, powerful experiences, spiritual experiences. Whereas now I have these much more subtle experiences of being able to 
uh, have, have slight body-free experiences. So that those, those are a few examples of what I would call spiritual experiences. I'm still very far from uh, being what one would consider initiated in any way. And so I try in my professional life through my study of color and form and the visual arts to penetrate as deeply as I can into that realm as a pathway to spiritual experiences. Because uh, really color is, is and has been for cultures throughout history has been this bridge between the physical and the spiritual world. Yeah, it's always been seen as uh, it can, color can be embedded in physical substance, but it also releases us from physical substance as we see in the colors of a sunset or a rainbow and so on. Wow, thank you for sharing, man. That was, uh, I, was all, I was envisioning what you were describing, these powerful experiences in my own head and seems like scary yet profound experiences in many ways. And it's interesting to hear that you're now um, having micro experiences as such or or smaller, not as powerful, but similar experiences through your professional work, through your work with art. Um, and that's very, very interesting. So I'm wondering, just to go back into those powerful experiences, how, how did those experiences impact you? You said those were experiences that changed you, that sort of brought about a shift in the way you saw yourself and the world around you. And so I'm wondering what was some insights that you derived from those experiences and uh, how did it change the way you saw yourself and the world around you? Well, from this first experience I described, it was very clear I had to stop taking drugs as a means for having uh, what, what I would call illicit spiritual experiences. Yeah, that I feel that uh, Taking drugs is something that allows you to cross this threshold uh, out of the physical world to have spiritual experiences, but in a hallucinatory kind of way. How can you, how can you really be sure what is happening? How can you make judgments based on your uh, chemical experiences? Uh, I think this is very different than when you develop your own inner capacities to have spiritual experiences. So I determined, and I think this is also historically, cultures that begin to lose their, their natural clairvoyance begin to use drugs to help push them over into experiencing their gods, experiencing their goddesses, experiencing the elemental world. And that it becomes more and more decadent in that way to, to rely on a physical 
jumpstart to get into that experience. So I, I determined, well, there's got to be other ways for me to have these religious, spiritual experiences than by taking drugs. So after that first experience, I pretty much stopped that and looked for other ways. And this actually led me to the work of Rudolf Steiner and others, uh, which I began to study more in earnest. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's uh, some great insights for me and other young folks who might be uh, thinking about recapturing the rapture through the use of psychedelic drugs and other sort of substances to sort of have these profound experiences that to me, I thought of nurtured my soul or opened up the gates to another world and sort of re-enchanted my world. But thank you for sharing that because uh, it reminds me that that's not the only way and that there are other ways which may be more powerful and more real and um, where I may not need to use these catalysts in order to recapture the rapture. So that being said, can you tell, you, you said um, after this sort of shift that happened after this realization, you got more into the works of Rudolf Steiner and uh, spiritual practices through the work of art. So a couple of questions and feel free to answer them in whatever uh, order or way you'd like. The word spiritual has slowly started to have uh, a lot of different sorts of meanings, at least the way I have perceived it. Many people are calling it many different things and I feel like it's become a very loaded word. So one question is what does spiritual actually mean? What does the spirit actually mean? And then also how does the work of Rudolf Steiner allow oneself to build the spiritual capacity or have the sort of initiation or develop the, the spiritual side of one's being? And then third is how how does art play a role within these things? How does art allow one to develop their own inner worlds and sort of have this, um, how, how can one get onto this path of spiritual development through holistic methodologies that Rudolf Steiner talks about, but also art is, uh, sort of um, embodies and allows oneself to do? Well, this... First of all, the spiritual, I would describe it as the super sensible, the super sensible. Uh, the term supernatural is often a term that's used, but uh, that which is beyond the physical. Yeah, we have experiences in our life that can't be nailed down can't be uh, quantified, their qualities, yeah? And even, even quantities are types of qualities. For instance, love, you know, if you love someone, it, that's a spiritual experience. That's a super sensible experience. Uh, one can have feelings and thoughts and impulses that are not, not necessarily physical, although they can have effects in our 
physical organism. Uh, so the spiritual to me is that which that which penetrates the physical, which resides alongside the physical, leads us into a deeper, further aspects of what life is all about. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a question for us in our time where for the last two, three, 400 years, we've been educated in such a way where, you know, if you can't see it, if you can't feel it, if you can't touch it, it's not real. And so the spiritual is often then considered unrealistic and many people simply will deny it. Yeah. You know, you have the Marxist philosophy of religion is the opiate of the people. It's like a, a hallucination. Uh, it's totally unreal. But if you if you look at if you look at the cultures that really have penetrated what is not just physical, if you look at ancient history, everything has arisen out of the religions, out of the spirituality of the cultures. It, that it's the spirit that was there first and that the physical develops eventually out of what has, has been the, the spark behind it rather than, you know, some microorganism has developed and formed legs and crawled out of the sea and then began to walk and climb in the trees and eat bananas and then have, have thoughts and can conceive of all these things that are in the world. You know, the, I, I think our materialistic way of looking at the world today has got it backwards that we we did we're not able to sit here and discuss things like this because of a physical big bang that happened but because there was spirit and spirit brought all of these uh, interactions together to allow for a physicality to to eventually arise so I have a quick question right there. The words like spirit, like soul, like life, like consciousness, these are words that I hear a lot and I often get confused. What do these things mean? Because uh, as you're saying, the empirical, scientific, positivist mindset that the world has been following has sort of uh, conditioned at least me to... It, it makes it difficult for me to really envision these things, to imagine these things and really grasp what these things really mean. So words like spirit, soul, life, consciousness, what do these really mean? And all the things you said, what is the importance of this? Why is this sort of thinking to have a belief in a sort of spiritual system or uh, this idea that 
we have not just risen from matter, but from a sort of spirit. Why is this, this thought important? What does this mean for us as human beings? Well, I think, I think it becomes important because what we think creates where we go and what we do. And all of our thinking has gotten us into this situation that we're living in today. And the question is, can we think our way out of it? Can we think our way out of, out of uh, pollution, out of warfare, out of global warming, out of all these things that we've created through our technologies and our civilization, which we have created out of our spirit. Yeah, that, that didn't arise out of physical things building up. It arose because we had thought, oh, this, what about this? Could we make this? And then let's build on that. And we see this now in, in uh, the, the tech companies now that if they can think it, they'll make it. And it's, it's coming to a, a question and Rudolf Steiner pointed this out. We, we need to have a spiritual, a moral spiritual development such that we can make decisions on what it is we're going to do with what we think. Otherwise, we're going to destroy ourselves if we just say, well, I, we could actually make this thing. Let's try it out, even though it's, it, uh, it can destroy half the planet or it can do this other destructive thing in the long term. So I think that's, that's where our consciousness is important. And of course, science can't explain what consciousness is, but that's, that's really spirit. And that's why it sort of, it sort of stands aside from what is consciousness. Yeah, we know what physica physicality is, but even life, we, we define life in terms of chemistry, in terms of DNA, in terms of chromosomes, in terms of, in terms of physical things. But life is something that is beyond what is physical. That's interesting to hear. And so you brought up this word technology and how the technologies that we are creating, we think of it and then we want to make it, right? And what I'm hearing is that if we don't have this sort of uh, system of spirituality, or maybe system is not the right word, um, but essentially spirituality is a moral as a moral compass, then we sort of lose sight of where we're going and we may create things that ultimately destroy us. But um, I was looking into what the word technology actually means, what the word tech means. And I'd like to share it with you because I think uh, you might find it interesting. And essentially what I heard it means is uh, technology comes from the word techne, which is a skill. It's a sort of art. It's the manifestation of 
the mind. It's an exteriorization of what is inside. And essentially, from my understanding, art is the same. Technology is a form of art and science. And so thinking about technology not as you know, computers and phones and tablets and whatnot, but technology as a manifestation of our imagination and as a form of art, how would you say art plays a role in the development of mankind? Because if technology is a form of art, if you're saying technology is destroying us, then isn't it the same as art is destroying us? Um, no, as you, as you say, many cultures between before the 14th century didn't have a word for art because art was part of their religion. It was part of their so-called technology. Yeah, art, science, and religion were united. Just like our thinking, our feeling, and our willing are united. But in our culture today, we tend to separate these things. Thinking is separate. Technology is separate. Feeling is separate. Art is separate. Uh, our will is separate. Religion, spirituality is separate. We tend to separate these things when, uh, and this is, this is what I found so brilliant in the work of Rudolf Steiner, who applied his spiritual research to education is that he basically says, when you're educating the child, you're educating three different beings. You're educating a thinking person, a feeling person, and a willing person. And at different times of life, you need to, you need to focus on the will, on doing things, yeah? On, on other periods in life development, you have to focus on the feeling aspect and the artistic realm. And then you can, you can gradually come to intellectual uh, education and thinking. Now, so this is, this is why in, in Waldorf education, which Rudolf Steiner uh, had helped to develop, the young child is educated in a way through doing things. But you know, this is, this is something that Confucius knew. He said, tell me and I will forget. Show me and I will understand. Show me and I will remember. Remember, thank you. <laughs> um, and then involve me and I will understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's there in fifth century China, Confucius was pointing out that you have these three realms of knowing things. Yeah, we can know things with our head, but it's, it's just data collection. We can know things with our heart and that allows us a kind of judgment that the head doesn't. And we can know things in our fingertips, in our gut. And that, that is something then we carry with us for life. We really understand it. So that plays a role in this connection of, of art, technology, and 
spirituality that we really need to, as a culture, reunite those, not in some ancient form of unconsciously reuniting them, but very consciously knowing that the, the, the technique is very important together with the aesthetic and together with the, the soul spiritual nature of what we do in life. That's very interesting, Van. So one thing I'm confused about in this, because I heard two thoughts, which in my head are contradicting each other. And so if you could help me reconcile this contradiction, that would be great. So on one side, I heard you speaking about how our modern culture has sort of separated and siloed things like art, religion, science, right? Before they were all one and the same, but they have been separated. And from my understanding, or what I assume is that is creating problems, the separation of thinking in silos of just focusing more on thinking, not so much on feeling or doing, or just focusing on doing and not so much on feeling and thinking sort of creates this imbalance, right? Because of the separation. But then you also said Rudolf Steiner sort of spoke about these three beings that one is educating or nurturing, right? The thinking being, the feeling being, and the willing being. So on one side, I'm hearing that we must not separate these three domains of art, science, and uh, religion. But then at the same time, I'm also hearing you say that Rudolf Steiner said it is important to think of these three, thinking, feeling, and willing as separate and not as one. So maybe I haven't fully understood this yet. Maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding, but it would be great if you can sort of reconcile this contradiction that I'm, I'm, I'm going through. Steiner pointed out that in the education of the child, as the child is growing up, you want to begin by educating the child through doing, through the will, through giving them examples that they can imitate and not through teaching them through intellectuality. In fact, he points out that to give them concepts, rules, like the golden rule, do this, do that, and, and you, to tell them this is, it acts like a lead weight on them. It doesn't, it doesn't give them anything because they really will only be learning through their whole organism, through their will. And that as they grow up, as they go through the change of teeth and during the grade school years, you want to add to that educating through doing, you want to introduce the artistic way of learning things, painting, drawing, music, acting, storytelling, where they get get experiences of polarities and qualities and so forth. And then as they go through puberty and into adolescence, then you bring out, you bring out more of the intellectual understanding. Now, Jane Healy, a professor of education, formerly of Columbia University, pointed this out, that you have these three phases of learning and that with the young child, water is something that they learn about through drinking it, through taking a bath, through splashing through puddles, 
when they are in grade school, they learn about water through, through painting pictures of it, through making poems about it, through singing songs about water. And when they come to high school, they learn that water is H2O. It's two parts hydrogen to one part oxygen. And you can give them an abstract understanding of that. But to, to tell a young child when they ask about water, or you're trying to teach them about water, you tell them it's H2O, it makes absolutely no sense. And it becomes, it becomes a kind of intrusion on their creative imagination by, by narrowing down what water is to that dead element. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So now sort of my contradiction or uh, the challenge in my head is getting reconciled. And what I'm essentially hearing is that in order to have this more holistic picture uh, and develop the somatic being and see a being as whole rather than just parts, we must paradoxically think of the three different parts that make up the whole and make sure to nurture each part rather than focusing on just one of them that modern science and technology and our traditional education systems focus on, which is just intellectualizing and conceptualizing the world into these, you know, minuscule concepts and then feeding it and, um, you know, indoctrinating children with these concepts and putting them through this sort of industrialized system that focuses on efficiency and making sure that children are doing well on exams rather than having this uh, siloed view of thinking of children and human beings as these concept learning machines. What I'm hearing you say is that we must have this more holistic picture and see the human being as a, as a somatic being that has a feeling life, a thinking life and a willing life and to educate or give experiences that nurture each of these parts in the appropriate times, in the appropriate ages to sort of bring about human beings who are free thinkers, who are uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, even though I'm using these different words, essentially holistically well and making decisions that bring about a better world and nurtures a better world, essentially. Would that be a, a correct summarization of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And then once, once a child has gone through these stages where there has been this focus on different types of learning, then when they get to university, you want to be sure they have lecturers who don't just line up and read a paper for 20 minutes. And then you have the next lecturer reads their paper for 20 minutes and so on. You want, you want the, the presentation to really become alive through involving the listeners with heartfelt activities, with an artistic presentation and through doing things, even having the audience get up and move with that. And then, then one engages the whole human being. If it's just directed towards the head, which our cultures unfortunately are the administrators and principals of schools, unfortunately do this kind of top down of mm. trying to 
have just the head educated. Yeah, numbers and words are all tried to be stuffed into the head. Whereas, you know, Howard Gardner points out we've got anywhere from seven to 10 different types of intellect. And we have a, a kinesthetic intellect that needs to move. We have a, a musical rhythmic intellect that needs to, needs to sing literally and so on, yeah? Well, I was saying I find that very interesting and I completely agree with you thinking about my own personal experience as a student in a Waldorf school to then moving to conventional school and now in university where exactly what you're saying is the case where we're simply, um, you know, given these really uh, dreadful lectures that have no uh, poetry in them, they have no artistic feeling side in them, there's not much to do, we're just expected to sit down and listen and I'm not saying that's a problem but well, we are also going through a mental health crisis in the world. People are being diagnosed with depression, anxiety, boredom, PTSD all the time. There's so, more people dying of suicide than uh, heart disease or something like that. I can't forget the exact statistic, but mental health is a real problem. And I see this in other students. I see this in adults. I see it all around me. And I think this is a result, this sort of mental epidemic that we have now is a result of the systems, these top-down systems that you're talking about, where we solely focused on um, just stuffing in concepts and disenchanting the world, right? Like losing, where, where children lose curiosity, there's wonders and so much joy just observing simple little things outside. But no, we were told to forget about that and we're given the abstract concept, which is difficult to grapple with. And then students and children find that hard and then they suffer and there's so much anxiety that builds in. But if we were to have this sort of holistic system where we're actually experiencing life to the fullest and then allowing children to come up with their own concepts to discover knowledge, to discover what it means to be alive, what life truly is, then I think that would change the whole game. And um, I think that's what we at Nurture Studio are also trying to bring about with all these masterclasses and all these sessions that we're having with you to help nurturers find better ways to nurture their children in a global pandemic when everyone is stuck at home, not being able to figure out what to do, you know, having all these online classes and whatnot. So that being said, my last question to you, Van, is given the state of the world today, the culture we live in, this global pandemic and this mental epidemic that we're facing as a society, what would you say is the way to nurture the human being, to truly nurture children and bring about or create a better world for ourselves and those around us? Well, I think we need to gain a much better, um, much deeper understanding of what the human being is, particularly from birth in the early years how to feed, what to feed a young baby, what to give them as uh, sense experiences in their surroundings. And as they grow up, how to educate them in a natural, as you say, holistic, rich and reverent way that 
they can embrace and change the, the direction that much of the thinking oriented cultures of the world have, have put us in. You know, we're sort of on these tracks now that very intelligent thinking has put us on, but it's, it's, a, it's a dead end track if we don't veer off of that. Yeah, and this is where one can come back to Rudolf Steiner where you know, the first steps in towards initiation, towards self-development is, is reverence. Yeah, reverence for the world, which leads to an enthusiasm and a, a wonder for the world around us and how to, how to make deeper connection with that world that we're not just trying to overcome that world or compete with that world, but to, to work with it. And that's the arts are a perfect, a perfect vehicle for doing that. Van, that brought in one last question, one last burning question that I feel like I have to ask you. So promise you this- You always say, Joshua, one last question. <laughs> extreme curiosity you know so you said the arts as a tool for developing the spiritual self or starting the process of initiation and um, you spoke about how children need to be nurtured but I also believe you know how they say on most flights before putting on masks on your child put on the mask on yourself so in that metaphorical sense I'm wondering what would you say to nurturers out there who are themselves going through this emotional upheaval at home during these times, how can nurturers nurture themselves through things like art? Well, I would say they could tune into your nurture studio classes. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's finding how one can have moments for oneself to see how can I how can I better adjust to my own relationship with the world, and uh, meditation is one way. Choice of nutrition is another way. Healthy times kinds of exercise are another way. And you know, write a poem every day, draw a picture every day, sing a song every day and see how that see how that affects the world around you and yourself because once you do something in the world you see that it comes back to you and it works on you as well and if that's a mean word to someone that of course will come back if it's a healthy happy encouraging word that also will come back Thank you for that, Van. That was wonderful. I really, really appreciate you sharing all these words of wisdom, these stories that you shared very genuinely and vulnerably and the time you spent with me today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Shashwat. <laughs>